Good evening and welcome to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HOLivingLoco and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar, a delicious, nutritious, and affordable option if you're looking for a brand new protein bar that's actually soft, tasty, and better than those dry, desiccated husks of protein bars most people are putting out these days. If you want to give them a try... Head on over to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off your first order. Again, that's $10 off your first order with promo code LOCKEDON at BuiltBar.com. On today's episode, we're going to be talking a little bit about the NHL's plan to relaunch uh, the season, which sounds like it is actually pretty close to being underway. And then after that, we're going to do what we did last time, which was that 2012 NHL entry redraft uh, theoretical thing. And do a what-if episode on what would have happened if Winnipeg had redone its 2013 NHL entry draft, which for the most part was actually not that bad. I think that there are only a few picks that I would have changed out, and uh, I think Winnipeg probably would have had similar results in most areas. But before we get ahead of ourselves, it's time to focus on the NHL actually coming back, which seems like it's really near on the horizon, relatively speaking. If reports and rumors are correct, the NHL Board of Governors voted yesterday around 7 or so to discuss all of the options regarding a 2014 playoff regular season resumation. If the 2014 playoff thing occurs, it might mean that the regular season has actually stopped where it is right now and switches to a pure playoff scenario. What's kind of interesting is that What they want to do is the top-ranked teams in each conference will end up playing what they call some kind of like a round-robin series. It's more like a warm-up, but it does actually impact how um, some of the seeding works in the postseason picture. This is because the four additional extra teams, if I understand it correctly, have to play like an elimination series, basically like an extra wild card of a sort. And some kind of seeding structure emerges from the top-ranked teams doing the round-robin and the teams at the bottom doing their elimination series. There have been some interesting notes about all of this, and I think the first one is that a lot of teams aren't super thrilled with this prospect. The top-ranked teams tend to feel like getting to play a team that's like 15 or so points behind them in the standings is not really fair to how actual regular season standings usually shape playoff bracket structures. I think that there's an assumption that this is kind of rewarding teams who are actually pretty crappy and didn't do that great of a job, while punishing all of the top teams with yet more mouths to feed in the competition scene. In some ways, I don't necessarily disagree with this motion. I I think that this is actually a fairly natural reaction. And, you know, some of the guys were saying, oh, you know, it's not fair to face Carey Price in the playoff series. While Price may be the person that they singled out, I think their bigger statement is Montreal doesn't really deserve to be in a playoff spot to begin with under normal situations. To allow them to enter through a, a restructured format with 24 teams instead adds a lot more chaos, Uh, a number of uh, additional variables, kind of some unknowns. And here you have a team that kind of, you know, wouldn't have squeaked in anyways, getting a spot and potentially being an upset in the first round. You know, on the other hand, I, I also do think that the teams need to have some kind of a balancing act because if other teams aren't allowed to finish their regular season games and it converts to a straight playoffs to try and save time, then it also wouldn't be fair to have all those teams that were like, right on the cusp of making a wild card spot, not have a chance to get in. This kind of applies to Winnipeg because the Jets are right now a little bit outside of a regular season um, playoff spot if they were to go by the normal structure due to the points percentage. Under the new format, they would actually get in and be one of those teams stuck in an elimination series, projected currently to be against the Calgary Flames. 
my guess is that the season's going to resume in the next month or two, just because I think, you know, the NHL and teams like Winnipeg and some of the other smaller markets, these teams are all losing too much money right now. Some of the smaller teams don't even have major TV or broadcast deals, but even then, that's still lost income from gate revenue and stuff. The league desperately needs to broadcast something other than the NHL draft in between, so I, I think that the season's probably coming back. Bettman did say earlier, though, that there will be an abundance of testing and evaluation done before they decide to relaunch because they're probably still concerned that all of these states and stuff are reopening and there are definitely spikes in cases coming in. The Premier League was already talking about relaunching and the Premier League found that six of the 780 players that they tested had a a, a positive test. And then they said, well, you're going to self-quarantine for seven days. First off, seven days is not even close to enough. It needs to be at least two weeks. And I think the broader concern is, if those guys tested positive, who have they come into contact with? I mean, did they even know that they were positive uh, cases? Were they asymptomatic? If they've been around other people, especially other players and team staff, you might run into a situation where you're going to have a breakout in the next couple of days. For the Prem, that would be pretty bad. But the Prem is also pretty well-to-do financially speaking, so I think that they are maybe less concerned about a relaunch. I mean, certainly that's a lot of lost revenue, but they're not going to die out if if they can't broadcast within the next few weeks. They can survive a bit longer than a lot of these other smaller leagues uh, with teams that are not quite as financially well-to-do. The NHL is definitely in the latter situation, and I think the the league is probably anxious to return. I'm sure players are. Um, From what it sounds like, they've been holding underground practices already, and some of the guys are returning to their host cities for play or whatever. That, to me, suggests that the NHL is actually moving towards restarting a lot sooner than anticipated. I imagine a lot of the ownership teams and execs are going to fall in line and agree with the assessment to relaunch in a few months as well, because, let's be honest, they're all missing hockey, they need money, and any form of hockey that they can get uh, that leads to broadcast and viewership deals, they're not going to say no to. Even some of the executives that express displeasure with the idea of a 24 playoff system that rewards some of the lower-performing teams... They said, we understand that this is a complicated situation. No one knows what they're doing. And you know what? Might as well have it than not have it. I can't imagine that there's going to be any other real compromise made beyond some smaller details because I I think at this point the league just wants to get back underway and I think a lot of the teams and players feel the same way. So they're going to do whatever it takes to come up with a plan that people can agree on and go with it. I'm not even sure if yesterday's meeting was really a vote or a discussion or if it was basically like, here's the plan. You can say yes or no, but we're still going to do it anyways. My guess is it's probably going to be more a situation where they ironed out a few details, but the plan itself for the most part is set. The main point of contention remaining is who's going to be the host cities for the actual games, and they've had a few options like Vegas, and I think Vancouver was another option. A couple of others are in there, but I think it's going to take a while for them to figure out which cities are safest and which are definitely not uh, COVID-19 hotspots. It's going to take some time, and I think that there's a lot of details that need to be worked out because of how sensitive the situation is and how volatile this potential next wave of COVID-19 is. The league cannot rush the situation, and I think they need to exercise all due good judgment, which they've thus far done. I'm just not sure how long that's going to continue to last while they're bleeding money. During this quarantine crisis, we all have to save a little bit and try and, you know, avoid spending as much as possible. And that includes some of our daily living goods. If you're like me, saving on protein bars is always a difficult task, because usually the less you pay, the crappier the protein bar. That's why I've chosen Built Bar in recent times. Built Bar is tasty, nutritious, and good for you. It's a little bit more like a candy bar with a soft interior and wonderful flavors to choose from, up to 16. 
Eight are nut-free, so if you've got allergies to nuts or any other sort of allergens, BuiltBar.com has your back. If you're looking for a personal recommendation, I highly suggest the uh, dark chocolate and raspberry flavor. I think that that is my personal favorite. The mint chocolate one is also a very good option. And if you're looking for, you know, something that's on the healthier side, there are so many flavors that are around 120 calories or less. If you're worried about fat content, they're pretty clean too, with most sitting under 4.5 or less grams of fat, around 15 to 20% of your daily value. They're also packed with tons of protein, featuring around 30 to 40% of your daily intake. It's nice to have a protein bar where you don't have to sacrifice taste for good nutritional impact. And if you're a first-time buyer, head on over to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON before you check out to get $10 off your first order. Again, that's promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off your first order. Alright, now that the actual NHL stuff is out of the way, we're going to go back to fictional land because we're still in the week of what-ifs, and the NHL has had some very interesting drafts, especially over the past 10 or 15 years, and this definitely does hold true for the Jets. 2011-2012, not so good for Winnipeg outside of Jacob Truba. 2013 was a lot better, generally speaking, and Winnipeg kicked that one off with Josh Morrissey. Given the names on the board, I think Morrissey at 13th overall, pretty good. I had a hard time really thinking of anyone I would have taken over him other than maybe... Uh, you, you could have an argument for somebody like um, Brett Pesci, who was a third-round pick at the time. I, I think that if you have Pesci in a later round, you can actually get away with that, just because I don't think that he was nearly as high on somebody's board as, say, he was for Carolina. So for now, let's just kind of leave him off to, to the side. I think that given the names left, other than maybe Olive, Oliver Bjorkstrand... I probably would have stuck with Morrissey. If you want some comedy, though, I think the guys ahead of Morrissey taken were Rasmus Ristolainen, Valery Nichushkin, Sam Moran. Uh, looks like those are the most uh, egregious ones. At one point, there was an argu- argument that maybe Nurse was not so good, but he's been pretty decent so far, so I don't think you can complain about that. The guy most likely to challenge for Morrissey's crown here would probably be Shea Theodore. I think Theodore would be the one that, if you're going to take somebody other than Morrissey, you might look at Theodore, especially on on a a blue line, because Theodore can be just an absolutely unholy terror, especially playing on the back end. He's very skilled with the puck, he's very good in both ends of the ice, and he's really a, a great scoring and offensive threat. He will cheat sometimes to create offense, but not that much, and usually he's very good at tracking back and getting back into position. Shea is just a really dangerous player, no matter where he is on the ice, and he's somebody who fits a more modern... Uh, defensive player or maybe just general skating. The other guy that maybe could have taken it is Anthony Mantha, who is a really dominant right wing when he's healthy, but I I think in this case, given what the Jets were working with, Morrissey is definitely a very safe, very good pick. Mantha is a player who definitely would have been here for a long time, and I think he'd actually be the kind of player the Jets could use right now, especially with their lack of play-driving talent and scoring talent um, to supplement some of the less uh, astute defending and play-driving ability. But, you know, I don't think you can really contest having Morrissey on your team. So I think for this first pick, we can leave that one uh, and and just kind of move on to the next one. This next pick change is going to hurt me a lot because, well, (laughs) I have a soft spot for this player. But at number 43 overall, Winnipeg selected Nick Patan. And I, I like Patan a lot. I think that he's a fantastic player, a really good talent. And the fact that he didn't turn into anything for the Jets, despite having some very good underlying results and really wasn't given a chance to thrive, is honestly something of a shame. He had so much potential, and I feel like Winnipeg just didn't make the most of it. Because of his development track, I would have to say that I would probably have gone with Oliver Bjorkstrand. I think Bjorkstrand here would be a fantastic pick. 
Uh, he's a great forward, very good two-way player, has a nice scoring touch. But if the Jets wanted a defenseman, I have to say that Brett Pesci would have been my pick as well. I, I think that you have two very good choices here, either one of which you could make an argument. I think Pesci maybe provides a bit more defensive value and certainly has the kind of top four potential to be even a first-pairing option. Brett's just like super good at being a really rock-solid defensive back end, but he's actually had a pretty decent scoring output for like a guy who's traditionally a shutdown D. I think it's a lot harder to find players of his ilk who are legitimately good, so, you know, if you make this argument that he provides more total value in his package as being like a number three defenseman, I think that you have a pretty safe pick here at number two, um, second round, 43 overall. I think that that would be perfectly fine. I, I still tend to like offensive upside a little bit more, but honestly, you know, Bjorkstrand, while he is a very good attacker, he's not like an elite, you know, first line high end scorer. So you, you could make the argument that maybe Pesci provides more organizational value. That said, I'm probably still going to lean Bjorkstrand here. I just think that with Pesci going in the third round uh, and Winnipeg having another second round pick in just a little bit, you can actually get both. But maybe you go for the right winger here who is definitely a, a very good player and he's been a mainstay for Columbus. That'll lead me right to pick uh, number 59 in the second round, and that's just going to be Brett Pesci. I think that they picked Eric Comrie here instead, but Pesci, as I've said earlier, rock-solid shutdown D. He was still on the board at this time, although he wasn't going to be for much longer. So if Winnipeg can sneak in here and get Brett Pesci, you've got Josh Morrissey and Brett Pesci as your potential first pairing for the you know many years to come. And then adding Oliver Bjorkstrand to your top six is going to give you a ton of play-driving talent and maybe gives you a little bit more transition and defensive value on some of your top six units that don't have as much. Oliver may not be someone as good as Nick Ehlers, but he's an excellent player in his own right, and you really can't go wrong with him. Uh, so, yeah, for sure, that's who I would have taken. Uh, Oliver, um, er, er, not Eric Comrie, <laughs> that's a guy they took in real life. No, I think if you have Oliver Bjorkstrand, Josh Morrissey, and Brett Pesci as your top three picks in the first two rounds, you are just loving, loving life and, and really digging it. Actually, I, I just realized I actually do need a slight do-over on those uh, last picks. I think uh, <laughs> I forgot that Jake Gensel is actually in this draft. And Gensel, I'm sorry, he's got to go in this in this first uh, two rounds. He'd be a first-round talent if people knew what he was back in the good old days. But let's be honest, I don't think that he was on too many radars except for Pittsburgh's. Yeah, you got to go with Gensel here. I would say even above um, Brett Pesci and, and probably Bjorkstrand, too. Genso is just a phenomenal attacker, and I think that the stuff that he does really just sets him apart from most of the other players. So we'll have their uh, Genso go in that round. Uh, I would probably say Winnipeg's first, second round pick over Patan. I would still take Brett Pesci third. Now, in this fourth pick, Winnipeg had a couple of options that might be okay. Um, you know, you could have an argument for Sven Andrighetto. I think that that would probably be a decent pick, but I was also looking at Yushi Saros. Saros is a potential uh, elite starter, and he's a fantastic talent. I would I would have a hard time turning away from him, especially if you're looking for a really high-end goaltending prospect. He's got to be the guy. I kind of made a mistake in selecting Pesci earlier over maybe Buchnevich, but I, I still think that Pesci offers enough value in his position to kind of outweigh what Buchnevich is maybe going to do for the Jets. So here I, I again look towards another guy who provides a ton of 
all-around talent and value. And I think that Saros is just a potentially franchise talent prospect. We've already seen that for Nashville, he can be an, an elite starter, and that's just very hard to find somebody who can do that on a consistent basis. So I would say for uh, round number three at 84th overall, Saros would be okay. Winnipeg then picked a few picks later and landed on J.C. LePon. In this one, um, you could maybe move Cop up a little bit. I don't know that there's too many names left that would have immense upside, although you might opt for Will Butcher. Butcher's really good, and I think that as like a number four or five defenseman, he provides a ton of value. Butcher is a good right-handed D, although it wouldn't be guaranteed that he'd actually sign for the Jets. It is a bit of a risk, but if you don't really have much to lose, I would say, yeah, give him a shot, see what happens. At worst, you know, worst case scenario, you drafted his rights, he doesn't quite turn out the way you were hoping, and he moves on. Winnipeg's next pick at 104 overall was Cop, and I think you can just leave that for obvious reasons. There's no reason to move him off um, out of that spot. So, yeah, we'll keep him there. Uh, next pick, maybe Connor Clifton would be an okay defender for your third pairing. I don't know that I would have really loved it, but he's decent, not bad at all. Um, and then after that, the Jets took uh, at number 127 all, Tucker Pullman. I think Pullman in a third pairing role is very good, so I really can't complain about that at all. I think that he's happy to stay there and, and be a pretty good prospect. Winnipeg only had a couple more picks in this draft, and I think given who was on the board, I would have definitely have gone with Andreas Janssen at number 190 overall instead of Brandon Kuykten. And then at number 194, well, a- actually, you know what? Um, maybe at 190 overall, you go with Kubalik. I think Kubalik is actually a better, uh, maybe even significantly better player. So let's say Kubalik at 190 overall. And then at 194 overall, you can then take um, Janssen or maybe John Gilmore. That is a kind of a tough pick because like Gilmore didn't really spend that much time in the NHL. And I don't think that he's, he's not a particularly great defender. Mackenzie Weger has also been pretty good in recent times. At first, I wasn't like a big fan of Weger's game, but he's actually been very decent over the past couple of seasons. So Weger or or Andreas Janssen, I think, has to come down to what is your organizational need in this case and who provides the most total value. In this case, Janssen might take it a little bit more than Weger because like, I don't think that Weger has like a high-end reputation, so um, people might not actually think that he's worth all that much, and when you need to make an acquisition with a, a trade of some sort, Janssen might be the better trading piece, and he provides offensive upfront value. In going back over it, Winnipeg could have potentially gotten the following guys instead of who they did get. They could have gotten Jake Gensel, they could have gotten Brett Pesci, uh, Oliver Bjorkstrand, whew, some of these names, man, <laughs> just amazing players that they've turned out to be. Pavel Buchnevich would have been another option if they didn't want Gensel, but I, I would definitely stick with... Uh, in my opinion, I think you still take Brett Pesci over over Buchnevich. Um They could have also had use of Saros. They got Andrew Kopp, which is great. Uh, who else? They could have gotten... Well, I'm, I'm happy with Tucker Pullman. I think that he's a good third-pairing defenseman. Past that, though, maybe Connor Clifton would have been a decent third-pairing guy. And then, for sure, you would want somebody like Kubalik and one of Janssen or Uyghur. And in this case, I would probably say Andreas Janssen is the safer pick. 2013 was kind of a weird draft because some of the uh, worst NHLers ended up going very high in the draft. I know that Ristolainen is one of those very empty calorie players, so I'm happy that the Jets did not draft him and really get a chance to. 
it does make me nervous that he's constantly linked to the Jets and trade rumors surrounding Nick Ehlers, but hopefully this previous season proved that Ehlers really should be untouchable for this team, especially going forward. And with that, I hope you guys enjoyed this potential 2013 redraft for the Jets. If you have any questions or comments, be sure to hit me up at HLLivingLoco or LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. Before you knock off for the night, be sure to check out our Locked On NHL National podcast hosted by Sarah Avampato. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great night and go Jets go.